We welcome back to our show the Reverend Michael McSherry, Senior Pastor at Edwards Church here in Northampton. We were talking while off the air about, well, we were continuing the conversation we've been having with Josh Silver. What I would like to know from you, uh, before we get to a couple of really interesting topics I absolutely wanted to ask you about and talk to you about today, um, does the political division in the country reflect itself in your congregation? I assume it must to some degree, and if so... How do you deal with it as the leader of a congregation? It does occur, <clears throat> and I'm I'm happy to um, I'm happy to share that um, on the Sunday following the general election in 2016, my sermon began. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Um, and I acknowledge good beginning for, well, say a novel or yeah, or, or, or a sermon. Yeah, there is no greater uh, right than than Dickens. imitation, yeah. um, <clears throat> no greater flattery. So, um, the the divisions are there. I never preach to them, but I preach in awareness of them, and try to strike a theme or describe a theme that legitimately comes out of whatever biblical text we're focusing on and helps people realize that people in community have had differences of opinion forever. Sometimes those differences of opinion can be softened or worked around by reference to a higher power or a greater authority as the old um, Hebrew national uh, commercials referred to. Um, <laughs> Reverend McSherry, I just want to go back. What is the difference between um, uh, speaking to an issue mm-hmm. and speaking about an issue? Um, without naming the issue directly, um, I might I might uh, focus on a biblical text that talks about one of the historical leaders of a religious community trying to get the people moving in a particular direction and the people were struggling with something else. That, you know. What do you do with the fact, Reverend McSherry, that in this day and age, we've had deep divisions yeah. in the country mm-hmm. uh, before, but to me, this feels different, which is depending on which side you're on, you really hate the other side. And hate is a very powerful force, and I think it is the reason why Trump is doing so well, because he taps into hatred and one other really deep, dark, and powerful emotion, which is fear. Right. Um, I've, I've read and heard that one of the things we do when we train people for combat is um, desensitize them to the humanity of the enemy. And part of what our, our contemporary political rhetoric does is dehumanize those who disagree with us. And in the congregational tradition, one of the things we teach and focus on is the humanity. And by humanity, I also mean those beings that carry a spark of the divine, um, the humanity of all other humans whether we agree with them or not. And uh, yes, it's hard to recognize the humanity in Hitler, and for some people it's hard to recognize the humanity of any political leader, if we can use that term, um, any political actor. 
with whom they disagree and disagree deeply. But you know, the only way back, I think, to having a um, civil discourse with each other is starting with civility. And one way to maintain civility is to keep reminding myself that the jerk on the other side of the table, you know, had a mother who probably loved him or her or them. And um, if I'm getting ready to jump out of my chair and throttle them because they're acting in a way that convinces me they deserve it, I switch for a minute and try to remember them as a toddler. If I may, Reverend McSherry, this is when I have a problem restraining myself. Mm -hmm. You are a... Uh, Leave Michael alone. He's a nice person, and I don't want to have to intervene here. (laughs) He's more than that. He's an incredible contributor. We're so lucky to have him on our Have Faith segment. And we say have faith. Faith talks about a belief. Mm -hmm. There is a difference between fact and belief. And when someone's alleging as fact something that is a belief that I think, number one, hey, that's not a fact. Number two, your belief is misguided because it's harder for me to be, I don't want to say civil, because I always try to be civil in my discourse, but um, it's harder for me to be as patient as if they were relying on fact. Um, One of my older sisters is a really kick-ass trial lawyer, Um, but a way that she has learned to behave in the courtroom is to never lose her cool. She's about five, two, or three. She's not a big person, right? She's not intimidating. But what she is is amazingly prepared so that when she goes in, as outrageous as her opposition might become, she just becomes more calm, more grounded in the facts and the law, and ready to answer any question that comes up by going, mm-hmm. Well, Your Honor, if you turn to page whatever in this exhibit, you'll see this fact. Just leave it there. Um, I, I remember, as you described the difference between fact and opinion, um, Kellyanne Conway referring to alternative facts, right, after the inauguration in 2017. We've been down that rabbit hole for almost eight years now. Mm-hmm. Indeed. There's a book, Helter Skelter, by mm-hmm. the prosecutor, Bugliasi, uh, who prosecuted the case. And what he writes in that book I found fascinating. First of all, what a mind. Uh, But what he said about courtrooms was, I've never been surprised. And he said, I've never been surprised because I've been through every possible way in which the examination goes. And it doesn't matter what the answer is because I always know the next question. Really talk about preparation. But I want to ask you, Reverend McSherry, since we are, uh, since this conversation has moved to lawyering, you are a recovering lawyer. Yeah. Um, And I'm, interested to know this, um, whether that training and that experience, because you were a lawyer for a long time, um, uh, affects you and influences your way of thinking now. And more specifically, what called you from that uh, professional endeavor to become a minister? What happened? 
Um, gee, we only got a few minutes, but um, first, uh, I'm going to, uh, um, what do they call it when, you, when you're bragging by pretending not to brag? Um, Buzz, you know the answer to this. Uh, I'm an expert on that. <laughs> I didn't mean to say, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a roommate in the first law firm I, I worked for out of law school. Um, and, they pay, uh, and they paid you so well you had a roommate. Great. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean an office mate. Oh, an office mate. Okay. And, 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 and Steve was um, a, a, a dyed-in-the-wool litigator, um, always knew he would be, um, very bright guy. Um, and I was going back and forth between doing litigation and corporate work and trying to make up my mind. And uh, one day as I hung up the phone from a call, um, he said, uh, hey, Michael, yeah, he goes, he says, forget about litigation. I said, what do you mean? He goes, just forget about litigation. It's not your cup of tea. I said, well, Steve, I'm still deciding. He goes, let me just tell you, you're way too reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I've listened to you have conversations with people for a year. You're much too nice. <laughs> really? That's very interesting. Yeah. Um, that must be nice because I've never experienced anyone saying that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, maybe it means you're uh, a weak people pleaser, you know, if, if people say that to you. Um, but on the, other hand, on, it, on the other hand, writing contracts is getting to an agreement. Well, it's a, there's a lot of listening yeah. and a lot of being clear. Yeah. Right? The idea is when you sign the contract, um, you hope you never have to litigate it because you've been clear enough with each other. Or at least that's a idealistic way to look at it. Some people would say if the contract's long enough, you're just laying traps for the unwary that you can spring on the counterparty later. Right. There's a, there's a really interesting story, you probably know it, of the uh, parties are negotiating and they get to the basics of the agreement and they say, well, we'll just leave the details to the lawyers and the parties leave and the lawyers say, what are we supposed to do? We don't have a deal because the details actually define what the agreement is. But that aside, let's go back to you. There's a there, well, okay. briefly, sure. Not not avoiding it, but there's just it's fascinating to me of the, the the culture of lawyering. I I am told there was a a community of Lebanese Jews uh, amongst whom the tradition for commercial contracts was that they would both go to the same lawyer, the, the two parties, the, the business people. They would sit in the office. They would negotiate with each other in a, in a conversation moderated and mediated by the lawyer who would write a contract. They would both review it and discuss it in that person's presence when the contract was considered sufficiently detailed to represent their agreement. They'd both sign it. The lawyer would keep the only copy. <laughs> and if they ever got into an argument about their business relationship, they'd go back to that lawyer. That person would take the, the, the signed contract out of the drawer, read it, put it back in the drawer, and tell them what to do. No appeal. Fascinating way to do business. It is, indeed. But how, but how does that inform... I just want to circle back to where well, the, they, Bill, they, yeah. Bill started, which is... You uh, shepherd a congregation mm -hmm. that uh, doesn't always see eye to eye. There are disagreements that, that, that divide people. And <laughs> and I am not the lawyer with the contract in the that's drawer. That's what I'm asking. <laughs> are you the lawyer with the contract in your pocket? No, 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 no. 
um, at least in the congregational way, the, the, the theology of being a congregation together <clears throat> is that all important decisions are made in a process of group discernment. Group discernment means we're influenced and informed by what we consider to be the will or word of God, and we would hold that as our highest value when trying to make an important decision about something the community should do together. So should we... Uh, Edwards Church you know, decided uh, in the late 50s whether or not to take down the old building and rebuild in the same place or rebuild closer out to the high school. I didn't know that. Yeah, and they decided to stay downtown because that was part of their identity as a religious community, as a community of faith. Um, and I think it's it, that's interesting in and of itself because they wanted to geographically be part of the fabric of the community where it gathered, not where it went to sleep. We are talking with the senior pastor of Edwards Church, Michael McSherry, when we come back, I want to pose that question again, how attorney Michael McSherry became <laughs> Reverend Michael McSherry right after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Michael McSherry, senior pastor of the Edwards Church Reverend, you were a lawyer. You were called to the yeah. ministry. Can you tell us what a calling to the ministry feels like? What made you give up your previous job and profession and come to something that I take it for you was way more meaningful, meaningful and important? I'd like to know what that feels like. What was the thought process? What was internal to you that caused you to be called to the ministry? Uh, at the risk of starting an argument with um, my friends and, and people who don't know me, know me, but who are members of the LGBTQ community, um, <clears throat> it was almost like a coming out process because I had to, uh, first of all, explain to my very Irish Catholic family of origin that I was still Irish but not Catholic. Um, and in, you know, in an intensely Irish Catholic family with with a strong identity to that particular brand of Christianity, you know, turning your back on that is a very big deal. Um, and then saying, not only do I not consider myself Catholic anymore, but I'm going to become a Protestant minister in a denomination that's as close to, um, you know, all the liberal impulses in our wider culture. I can't and, not ask the question, does your family think that the Reverend Michael McSherry <laughs> is going to hell because of that decision? Uh, none of them have told me that. Um, <clears throat> but, um, you know, when I was a teenager, I, I, I related to and identified with many of the things the priests were doing in the community in terms of preaching and pastoral care and that sort of thing, and, 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 and speaking truth to power in the public square. But I couldn't imagine not being partnered as an adult. I couldn't imagine not being a parent in a family. You know, that was also something that was important to me. And I used to sit in church 
and parse the prayers and listen to the scripture and decide for myself what I thought it meant and then listen to the sermon and go, uh-huh, uh-huh, no way, um, we can talk, um, you're flat wrong, you know, and just have that internal dialogue or monologue about... With, with civility. Oh, of course. <laughs> but, but I'd also go home and, and, you know, the conversation would continue around the kitchen table, you know, gee, Father so-and-so was really kind of off base today. And you're not supposed to think that way in the in the Catholic Church because what they say is what it is. And is it viewed, or was it viewed in your family or in your your the Catholicism that you grew up with as the Word of God that was being uh, transferred through the priests? Um, yes, they they were providing authoritative teaching on the way you should understand Scripture. And yeah, okay. So you were called. What did that feel like? What does that mean? Uh, um. Some folks, uh, you know, talk about having a, um, a deeply quote-unquote spiritual experience in nature. That's part of it. Uh, being incredibly moved by opera, right, or poetry, and all that's true as well. Um, so bring us back to being a lawyer now. You're having this debate among yourselves. <laughs> um, well, uh, you know, the, the way I wrote about it once was I, I said... Um, the voices in the back bench of my internal legislature are increasingly having sway, and they're all saying, go to seminary. Wow. And what did that feel like? Well, it was partly liberating and partly terrifying, like any coming out. Um, and my wife was the one, um, as much as it's not something she relates to personally, who recognized it in me and just said, so are you going to go to seminary or what? And was there some aha moment in nature or with poetry or at an opera where you, where you just felt, I have to do this? Yeah, I was riding the number seven train from Sunnyside, Queens, going into Manhattan to go back to Wall Street to work for a day. And I'd been listening to stories on the radio about a community in Brooklyn that was developed. There was, there was a, a, a league of churches um, in in involved in a, in a very meaningful way in developing low-income housing. And I said, what the hell am I doing on Wall Street? I should be involved in that. But that's not a calling to the, to, to the ministry. It's a calling to activism. Yes? Um, no? No, I saw my involvement in that as the leader of one of the religious communities that was getting involved. Wow. And you saw that as, this is my future, this is who I am? That was internalized, that you just felt that? Yeah. Oy vey, I can't be a lawyer anymore. <laughs> Pass the locks. <laughs> Reverend Michael McSherry, thanks so much for your time and for sharing with us today. We really appreciate it. This has been Have Faith on Talk the Talk with Reverend Michael McSherry, Senior Pastor of the Edwards Church. Thank you, Reverend. Always my pleasure, Bill. Bye.